Hi, I'm Nicola Elliott and this is the No BS Guide to Wellbeing. It's a place where I'm going to speak to experts in the field of wellbeing who all have a few things in common. So number one, they believe that wellbeing should be absolutely BS free. And number two, they've all been given the challenge of providing us with five of their top tips for wellbeing that we can all easily apply to our lives. Because I believe that the small steps can make a big difference. And hopefully this podcast can take the challenge out of wellbeing and can really empower you in an easy and a simple way to feel your best. So today I am going to be talking to Grace Beverly, who I think you're going to love and hate in equal measures because this is her bio. Wait for it. She is a 24 year old CEO, graduated from Oxford University. She runs her own businesses and is a full time Instagram influencer. She's got a million followers. She is in the Forbes 30 under 30. Her businesses include We Are Tala, which is a sustainable active brand and Shreddy, which is a fitness and recipes app. She's the author of Working Hard, Hardly working which is a book about how to achieve more stress less and feel more fulfilled she's a big believer in downtime and she's on a mission to talk about the modern pressures to prevent burnout and teach people what working hard kind of really looks like outside of the warped sort of hustle culture that's all over instagram but i go back to my first point she is 24 She's amazing. And listen, don't think you're, this is no interest if you're over 24, because a lot of the lessons that she's learned in this short but impactful journey, I think really related to me as, you know, a 43-year-old woman and as a mum. And, you know, she's got some really interesting things that I also took away when I'm thinking through the lens of, of my own children coming and growing up through sort of the Instagram generation. So this is a really interesting, very interesting, inspiring and I think a very very real she really really wears a heart on her sleeve interview question that I have because I am so interested obviously in in your journey and the books you've written and we are Tala and Shreddy and all of the amazing strings to your bow but as much as I am interested in how you've achieved all of those amazing things. I'm interested in the fact that you've done it at 24. And, <laughs> and I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, everyone's like, wow. Did you know from being like really little that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Because I think the fact that you've sort of hit the ground running so hard, so fast is partly, you know, the most interesting part of your story. So talk to me about how kind of you made that ground up so quickly and 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 where you were at I don't know 10 (laughs) (laughs) well I wasn't doing very much at 10 I'd say um in terms of the entrepreneurship thing no I definitely I was never set on kind of I'm going to be an entrepreneur I have loads of entrepreneurs around me I didn't even see entrepreneurship as like a job option I don't think I saw like success as being in a corporate job going to a nine-to-five wearing heels at a boardroom Um, And that was kind of my view of success. So I didn't actually count myself as an entrepreneur, probably about two years into making money through entrepreneurship, just because it so wasn't in my headspace in terms of what I am. It was I'm monetizing what I am doing um, with an extension of myself and a small team to make that happen. I didn't. I mean, I didn't even set up an incorporated company. It was just it was just through, you know, like sole trader stuff. And I think that kind of it just shows, you know, I didn't think of it in that way so much. Um, I'd say in terms of the hitting the ground running, I'm very much a kind of run with it person. So when I've 
decided on something or made something happen or whatever it might be I want to make the best out of that situation sure so I think that probably would have been it I would have realized oh this works really well I'm actually making some money people like it how can I make it better bigger and better grow it um and all of that so it was a less of a let's do this more of a I'm doing this now let's make it the best it could possibly be yeah and I think that sort of is a commonality definitely that I see in people that have built things uh, you know I, I don't like the word entrepreneur I don't know why it feels, feels a bit 80s but um, it, <laughs> yeah, it, it, people who built things but what was that first step then what was that first thing that you said I'm going to try this of which then you decided to do of course really well um so that would have been it was all ebooks for the first year and a half I'd say I um I, I count the start of shreddy as December 2016 so four and a half years ago Mm -hmm. nearly five years ago now but actually the year before that I even started with ebooks too that was I was working full-time as an intern at IBM um, as part of their school leaver scheme so you can go straight after school either before you go to university or instead of university Um, and I was working there and then I kind of started my social media about half a year before and it started growing and I was sharing loads of recipes and workouts and all of this and I remember getting to a point where I was like I cannot physically continue to do this much um especially if it's you know I get paid for my day job and so I I more just wanted to turn that into something that I was kind of like if I'm using every second I have outside of work which isn't many seconds to post on this platform then I need to kind of be monetizing some of that so it was more a an extension of what I was already doing so that was recipe ebooks those were the first two and I made them five pounds each and I paid my graphic design student friend 50 quid to mock them up into something that looked vaguely nice um and then um and then kind of had that for a year and they made a few hundred quid over the year it wasn't anything huge at all um but it was it was extra income which meant a lot in terms of what I was spending my spare time doing so then when I started Treddy um in my first time at university that was based on the information that I kind of I knew how that ebook thing had worked and in this in a similar type of way I was in my first time at university I'd saved up over the past year working at IBM to um to kind of pay my maintenance um on top of the usual loans and everything and then I got to a point where it was just way more expensive than I expected. Um, and I was like, wow, I really need some money. Um, and um, and then I got like a tuition fee notice, meaning that I would be suspended from the university because student finance hadn't paid my loan. Um, and I just absolutely freaked out. And so I thought, what do I know that makes money that I can do here and now? Um, which was those, which was doing essentially what I'd done for the recipes for the workouts. Um, and so I did the exact same thing. I wrote it all out. I paid the same friend to mock it up. I made a Shopify site and then I actually ended up partnering with the tech side um, to do that on a profit split. But that's what I was doing. It was, again, it was just personal work, I guess. There was no outsourcing. There was no buying stock. There was no any of that. It was just, what can I monetize and then that formed the basis for the community that I built that I then was able to um, I guess build out our product offering. It's really interesting because I think as I said that there's some commonalities there that I always I always sort of think exist when I talk to um, fellow builders, entrepreneurs, um, starters of businesses and you know that there actually is quite an organic start to it but it's but it's done really really well and then there's this sort of tenacity and this uh drawing on like you said there you know the friend for 50 quid who who mm. who did the ebook and um I remember we had to post out we had to post out candles and uh I couldn't actually physically 
carry them to the the Royal Mail <laughs> office. That's like, you know, bringing cans of beer for like the guy who worked downstairs in my office, so he could kind of help. Ca- you know, it's just like pulling on all these little resources that you that you have, and and I suppose that is to to use your word, the hustle, really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's, I mean, it's just resourcefulness, isn't it? Um, I think that's yeah. probably the start of a lot of entrepreneurship, um, especially in a way where, you know, you see the end point or not the end point, but a more developed point of company. And you think like, God, how did you launch with like a fully blown app that's, you know, competes with the competition and all of this? And I was like, oh God, we didn't do that t- till two and a half years of the not. company. Um, so it's very different from I guess what you expect from um, well, and also yeah, I think people all I think people do read about those kind of really exciting one-off um, unicorns that started with you know hundred million pound and 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 they're the things they're the companies that sort of get all the headlines and so actually the ones that have built it sort of brick by brick is not always as interesting a story and so and that's not fair I think for new entrepreneurs looking because sometimes it gives them the wrong impression and and same with the scale you know things that grow like so 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 quickly it's like usually that is the one percent that's not the 99 percent yeah well exactly and I think the thing is like I'm always asked how I got funding at the beginning and I started with ebooks and fifty pounds that I literally I literally paid to my friend and all the rest of it was me sitting at a table writing it out um, doing the research, building the Shopify site on a free theme yeah, um, and making that happen. And of course, a lot of concepts you do need to launch with um, the funding. I'd say the major- large majority of people do in some way, whether it's a kind of seed round through people they know or whatever it might be. But mine, you know, we didn't need to even do any type of down payment <laughs> until yeah. about a year and a half after I even did the first digital product. And so it was just a lot more of a gradual journey. But I think it's exactly that. You kind of see the press on like these people who've raised 500 million to do nothing yet, but it's going to be great. And you kind of think, how on earth would I start a company? But actually, you know, I didn't make a single down payment for anything in terms of stock or whatever it might be until, you know, a year and a half, two years after I originally started the business. I think I would have been far too scared to raise all that cash early on. And then, yeah. oh, oh 100%. God, a noose around your neck. But, you know, people kind of thrive off that, don't they? I think you've just got to, you've got to be true to yourself and think, actually, which ways in, c- can I do this that's going to that's gonna work for me? I, I, it wouldn't work for me to, to, to be in with a million shareholders and, and have all that money sort of, you know, that, that you had to pay back. But then the next person, it probably wouldn't work to sort of build something brick by brick. They want to move faster so I always think as well when you're starting something you've got to be quite true to what your own desires are not just the outcome but also for the ways in which you're going to work and build it and and what's going to sort of suit your life best because there's no there's no one way to to create a brand right there's like so many different ways I I want to we use the word hustle and you speak about the concept of hustle culture. Just explain that and and explain how you think hustle culture affects well-being and and also if that's just like a Gen Z problem um, and is it exacerbated by digital Instagram, perfect world, etc. A lot, lot of questions around hustle culture. <laughs> that's fine. Grace. I think <laughs> I think it all intertwines. Really, I think that's the this hustle culture is this kind of perfect storm of hard work being rewarded on social media because it looks glamorous and then you get the results and then it's kind of like this hustle porn idea of like work hard and everything falls into place you will strike gold um blah 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 and then you can 
afford to have the kind of rhetoric of like I never sleep because you've had such success that people kind of believe that um and it's just it's all of that in a big old like stirring pot of just the now mm-hmm. um if that if that kind of makes sense I think hustle culture as a whole is just that you know it's the perpetuation of the idea of kind of all work no sleep um mm-hmm. because that's aspirational and because it kind of makes you almost superhuman in a way that people are able to then like contextualize your success um and no one wants people to think that their success was easy you know um and so social media exacerbates that because you almost need to be able to you know show yeah it wasn't easy and this is all the things it took and then people think wow you know you're so much better than me i could never do that and so Mm. I, i i think it's um I think it's complicated because you know it's also I probably for a lot of people embody hustle culture because I'll talk about when I'm working and I probably won't show when I'm resting because I don't want to be on my phone mm-hmm. and um etc cetera, etc cetera. um but I think that you know it's absolutely exacerbated by the digital world it's exacerbated by people like me it's exacerbated by the existence of entrepreneurs <laughs> and um God, it's so complicated. people and everything like, it's so complicated we're just moving away from and- yeah I mean we're just moving away from sort of you know one type of like perfect body shape and an image and now this same bloody problem follows us into work right it's like yeah we just can't escape it well I think the main thing is like it's not a Gen Z thing but it's it's a lot of the time thing in the way that you know we're not the first generation to like try and look like the last person to leave the office it's just exacerbated by not only the office but seeing every single person everywhere working and ultimately if you see someone working at 2 a.m on social media there's no telling you that they were also working at 1am or they were also working at 201am or they're not even just nocturnal like they they might be and yet the way you see it is you contextualize it in your own life and you say oh well I was up at eight and so if they were working at 2am that means they were getting in a 52 hour day um and I was doing this and actually like no one's lives are in parallel so you cannot judge it in the same way but we it's it's almost harmful the way that we bring it into ourselves, but that's the only way we, re- we relate to it. Well, it's the age-old problem of comparison, right? So it's, I don't think it's a generational thing. I just think now that the platform for comparison is like so inordinately bigger because of social media. Yeah. You're not comparing yourself just with, you know, the, the cool cat at school or, you know, the woman around the corner. You are comparing yourself with thousands and thousands and thousands of people so it's just like you know a pressure cooker on a on a on a human trait yeah comparison well exactly I always think through these things you know I'm 43 now so I I like to think I sort of I'm a little bit you know more comfortable in my own skin where this is concerned but I, I look through a lot of these kind of these um topics I suppose through the through the lens of of my kids and I think how do you mitigate them growing up into you know people who are constantly comparing Mm. and not feeling good enough etc etc yeah and I think it's one of those things as well where like we've always been worried about that with like children growing up and everything but actually when you then put it in a as we say this kind of like cauldron of comparison that is kind of perpetuated and magnified across hundreds of thousands of millions of people um it's almost impossible and i think it is impossible and therefore we all we need to do is we need to be aware of it yeah and we need to be able to like operate with it like the whole point of me writing my book wasn't about being like this is shit like social media is so harmful like i built my entire businesses on social media and i'm probably way you know on it way more than anyone ever healthily should be 
The thing is, what we do need to understand is actually like how it affects us, how it affects our work, how it affects our mental health at work, how it affects, you know, what we think about every single part of our lives, because then we can operate with it. And same with, you know, our children. I don't have any. Um, but, you know, it's it's exactly it's exactly that. As long as we understand the context and the environment and the landscape that we're kind of that those people and that we are growing up in, we're able to say, I know this makes me feel like this and I know this isn't true. And still, you know, I, totally. I, I feel shit or I compare more or whatever. And then as long as we know that, we can make better decisions and we can have a better relationship with it. Um, I also think that, you know, you're never going to compete against these billion dollar companies that are fighting for your attention every day. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to lose out to them at least 23 times a day. And so it's more just about actually understanding when you do, when you don't, and what boundaries you put in place to kind of fight that. I'm really interested in how as a voice for like the Gen Z crowd, what do you think that generation need the most help with for their well-being? Is it to do with this or is it something completely different? Um, I think a lot of it does. Asking as a mother, you know. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of it does come in social media. I think that it's not helpful, the kind of looks that a lot of um, people have on the kind of Gen Z of being like, they're narcissistic, self-obsessed, obsessed with social media and have never read a book in their life. And it's kind of like, okay, oh, I don't if we look to every that. single... <laughs> no, but I think there's a lot of... Okay, that's exaggerated, but I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of almost like literature on Gen Z in terms of like work shy and like on social media a lot and how can we fight that and everything. And I actually think a lot of the solutions just come with, as I kind of said, like operating with it better um, mm-hmm. And therefore, the more we can have like a constructive conversation about how we can do that, the more we can actually make movements rather than just being like, get off your phone. Um, yeah. Because that's like, you know, it's it's fighting something we can't necessarily fight. Or I think the majority of us, especially if you're growing up in a city um, and, you know, with a smartphone and kind of all of these things, will be very much like within that landscape and that context. I'd say in in kind of answer to your question it is a lot of that does become around the relationship with social media, whether that's things like body image or things like puzzle culture or things like general comparison or things like, you know, thinking you can say anything to anyone based on the mm-hmm. idea that actually we've kind of, a lot of people have been grown up thinking you can because they can say whatever on social media. Um, and so I actually think that it's all around that and it's about building good relationships with social media and understanding that social media needs to be an extension of real life in order to work rather than like this completely virtual world and therefore yeah. we need to almost discuss it in our lives rather than just expecting everyone to be able to get off their phones and then being surprised when they don't. I think having looked at having sort of comparing my own you know I was gonna say youth that's such an uncool word isn't it Jesus my own <laughs> whatever being young to my daughter who by the way is 11 right so you know she's not she's not where you are at all but um it's a conf I think it's confidence I think there's a big thing around confidence I think it took a I was quite a confident child luckily but the confidence required to shut down you know two people taking the mickey on the school bus and at the at the you know football fields and in in school versus the confidence required because of the sheer volume of people challenging you know her on social media even at her age i think you've got to know yourself and be so um aware of of 
other people and other traits and who you want to be and what you like and what you dislike and and then a layer on top of that, even more confident that you can handle that in the right way. You know, you yeah. not necessarily a quick put down because you stood next to someone and that doesn't matter, doesn't, doesn't go any further. You know, you recognise it, you're confident enough to see it, you're confident enough to know who you are, and then you're confident enough to be able to handle that. It's like, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a big it's a big of, ask. <laughs> yeah, it it really is. It really is. And I always think with my with my little girl, you know, I, I let her be more confident, even when sometimes she's a bit of a cheeky minx, rather yeah. than less. Because I think oh, it's easier to rein it in <laughs> than to big it up, you know? But, yeah, um, also life not, life knocks it out of you. Exactly, <laughs> like, exactly. It's like, I, it's exactly that. And it's understanding that sometimes you just have to be like, actually, this is not the real world and throw your phone across the room. And I feel that in the way, like, it's about knowing when it's, it takes yeah, it's a lot to make of, that call yeah. though, doesn't it? To be able to Absolutely, say that. But that's why we need yeah. to learn exactly those points in our relationships with social media in order to be able to make those decisions. Whereas, you know, for example, I know that if I went into a room of entrepreneurs and I was doing a panel and all of that, like I'm so confident in my abilities and what I've done over the past few years and what I can share that, you know, it doesn't, it, like I have way less experience than so many people, but I'm, I know what I know and I'm proud of what I've done. And at the same time on that exact same day, I might feel like terrified of even posting something on social media because someone might just be like, oh, this is shit. And yeah. you're like, and it's, it's about understanding the difference between those two things and actually that being fine. Like yesterday, I didn't want to be on social media at all. And I literally just locked my phone in another room. And that was, I knew that, my, I was not in the right headspace to have a lot of exposure to social media. Um, and it will be different kind of in my position, but it's also, I think it's important for everyone because it's it's all relative. Hey! Hey! We talk about imposter syndrome, uh, working too much, stress, anxiety. What what are those? I wonder what you feel that's maybe different to, to me being a bit older and actually just in general just it's interesting to see where you where you feel those those points um I think as an entrepreneur on social media that's probably where the most pressure comes from for me Mm -hmm. um so it's it's two jobs in itself right it's um sharing the business showing the journey being the face of it to an extent being a billboard for it you know shouting from the rooftops about what our brands are which I love doing like all of that stuff like I am incredibly fortunate yes yes I like built the platform but I'm incredibly fortunate to have people who want to listen to that um and that's you know it's a fantastic part of it but it's also then huge when it's kind of two jobs in the way that you know actually that all of the time I'm approving things going through all of our assets you know going over the marketing plans going over the finances you know like Mm -hmm. the completely separate parts of the job and then at any point that any you know entrepreneur goes through in knowing like oh my god you know we're way missing forecast or this is going to be pushed out and therefore our you know september looks nowhere near what it needs to be or all of these kind of variety of different things that entrepreneurs face the whole time oh yes that needing to be kind of combined with the with the the kind of promotion and excitement and showing how the business is going and all of that and of course it doesn't need to be all at all all times but changing that gear. all combined together yeah that all combined together yeah is hard sometimes like really really hard i i get that i i think i, I think and i also think just adding to that i think sometimes like 
out of work elements are also other elements. So I used to find when I went home and I, you know, then had to bath the kids. That was like another Mm. element. So there you are, you know, dealing with the, oh, God, we didn't hit the forecast. Then there's the amazing Instagram posts of me looking fantastic and we've had a nice day when you don't feel like it. Yeah. Then there's, you know, exactly all the elements that you've seen in the workplace and then you go home and then life becomes a series of different gears as well. And I I think sometimes the shift between so many different elements is really, really difficult. And I do think you have that more as an entrepreneur as opposed to somebody who's in a job and your job, of course, has different elements to it. But fundamentally, you become, uh, you're less of a jack of all trades. And Yeah, I mean, you have to wear so many different hats as an entrepreneur and you do in so many jobs. And if you work at a startup and all of these things, and if you're, you know, like, any other role like you have to but I think the thing is like having to I think all of that on top of the fact that when things are shit they always come back to you as the founder or CEO or whatever it might be like that is the (laughs) end point because it's default to when things are really bad this is where we go and so it's not just like the rest of it it's all of that combined with the like you are the like, trash can for all the shit. Yeah, and then it's absolutely. like also having to do that whilst also being the biggest proponent for the business, taking on all the financial risk, blah, 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 blah. It's just as in, it's a, you know, it is a, it's a huge ask all the time. And I think probably one of the one benefits of it has been that over the past year, I would say that all of the imposter syndrome has left my body because I have been through way too much to have any of that. Yeah, I don't have um, that anymore. I don't have No, that. exactly. It's like, no, no, no. No, I I'm don't well deserve to be here. Yeah, the good and the bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you saw a live stream of this past year, you would respect me and I will respect myself um yeah. so I think that's the one you know big benefit where I can wholeheartedly say I have absolutely no imposter syndrome no, no I'm with you but I think like, that's time yeah. right that's kind of going through the mill for long enough that then you sort of you've mm. you've earned it in your own mind right yeah but I mean and also let's not forget I mean one of the main things that we are here to talk about which is not just all those elements of productivity within the workplace but also the elements of rest and self-care and actually at times you know that can feel like another bloody thing right so 100% yeah so I think the skill of that before you even get into how you do it is the mindset of seeing it as something that you you build into your life as opposed to oh god it's another thing to tick off at the end of the day you know Mm -hmm. I must open the car map you know rather than making dinner or whatever it may be tell us a little bit about that because that's kind of of the you know one of the themes of of work of your sorry of your book isn't it yeah absolutely and I think that actually probably one of the things over the past few months that I almost wish I'd written the book after is kind of the whole idea on top of that that actually also when it is that extra thing that you're like oh god I really need to fit this in it's kind of like also sometimes you have to have a shit balance like sometimes it is going to be 99% work and 1% everything else and if you're also making yourself feel guilty for that because you know you're not balancing right but it's foreign needs must amount time yeah that's kind of part of your wellness too because I, I you know I get a, a lot of friends and family being like you cannot continue to do this you will die <laughs> and which is completely fair enough <laughs> but also the fact of being like okay but also, if I don't do this in this moment, then this is going to cause this problem. Yeah. I think, you know, that's also particularly 
prevalent at certain stages of growing a business. I think, you know, as it gets sort of um, slightly bigger, you have to you have to sort of, um, well, delegate more initially and also I think you um you do sometimes realize that those things don't they don't collapse the business but I absolutely remember those days and and I remember you know the fights that you would have when someone husband or child was knocking on the door and you were like yeah if I don't do this in the next 10 minutes you won't have a house to live in anyway (laughs) (laughs) I mean it is kind of just the defining part of entrepreneurship isn't it but actually (laughs) the understanding too that like that's, I've just had to understand, like, I got to a great position of balance and I am no longer in that position. And that is because we've been doing some serious, serious, like big moves and mm. transitional points and all of that. And like, that's fine. And it will come again. And yes, you would probably beat me up if you saw my wellness routine at the moment. But I like, there have been things that I have had to do. And yeah. as much as, you know, you know I of course like really need to look after myself it's also not like I do get the part of it where it's like okay hustle culture is bad but also I really need to do this well it evolves I think it evolves and I think you know the reality is if you were sat here today saying I've absolutely nailed it I'm in a really good place I would also say to you that like life you know does ebb and flow you may well not be next week because you know the the that's just the way things go right you have good times and then shittier times and then the good times Mm. come again and then the shittier times come again so I think the word when we when we talk about balance we always sort of almost focus on you know this this perfectly yeah balanced goal that we're all looking to go to reality is I always think of it and mentally sort of see a seesaw that is inevitably going a bit one way or a bit the other way because, yes, you're always trying to keep it sort of equal, but the life and the forces are always pulling it a bit one way or the other. So so I think, you know, that's the key is to almost always think as well, you'll you'll never reach the holy grail. And if you did, yeah. it would only ever be fleeting. So, yeah. you know, what, and once you sort of know that, right, then it takes away some of the pressure on that. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's just about understanding that, balance isn't about 50 50 um it's about you know understanding the complexities of it and understanding what your balance looks like when it is shit balance and what it looks like when it's really good and knowing that you're going to have to go through both of those to make both of them work know yourself right yeah so let's talk about your ways to well-being. We always ask, you know, the sort of stuff in your well-being toolkit that you can share with us. And I know that you've got some really good go-to practices or and or tips for us. So can you kick us off with, I know your first one is sleep. Tell us why sleep is your first pillar of well-being. And I applaud you for that. Let me go through my pillars of well-being. Um, okay, I have them up here. So yes, I'd say sleep is my number one, mainly because... Usually when something goes really terribly wrong and I react to it just as terribly, it is because I have not had enough sleep. Um, So, and it's not always something you can fight with. Like I had the most awful night's sleep the night before last and it affected everything yesterday, but it's also not really something that you could just be like sleep ahead (laughs) and it works. Um, But I think understanding what you need is really, really important. Do you get that thing where when you wake up in the morning and you've had a good night's sleep, you feel really grateful Like I just turn over and go, I've had a good night's sleep. I'm so grateful. I know that the day is set up to like, you know, just naturally go a bit better for me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I had had that this morning, um, just waking up and thinking, 
oh thank god really need that um totally with you. <laughs> let's move on from yesterday that didn't happen um but yeah and this whole idea that kind of we were talking about before the whole idea of like sleep when you're dead and um this whole rhetoric where it's like mm, no no <laughs> once again i need to sleep tonight and i will um and if i sleep well it will make everything better and i do think that just understanding i mean it's probably it's not just sleep it's understanding your bodily needs um because some people will be able to survive well on six hours i do not and i would hate for anyone to look at me online and think like oh i want to achieve what she's achieved therefore i must sleep four hours a night um and get all the time in in the day it will probably make your work so much less productive that you would have been better getting more sleep and working in less time because you'll get more done that time um but just understanding what you need i think is really really important yeah so yeah i kind of said on that that i can get by on six to seven hours for a needs must amount of time but truly do not think it's productive unless you really need an extra few hours in there for a specific task exactly at that time not as a routine thing so kind of you know if a last minute thing pops up it has to get done and whatever great fine absolutely cannot be part of the routine I think um but yeah I I kind of said you know my mood and my stress levels are the first things to go um when I don't get enough sleep I am 100% with you and your second one is relationships right yes I think very important um I think Friends, family, um, the real world, everything. I think it's just kind of, yeah, relationships. I mean, relationships and connections and all of that are, you know, what dictate the, you know, the kind of rest of your life and what is real and what really matters and what kind of makes the rest of your well being pillars kind of worth it. Um, so Absolutely. I think. For me, that's a really big one um, because, you know, if I'm ever having a really awful time at work, my friends can still make me laugh or, you know, I can still, um, yeah, I can I can still do real life things that exist no matter how much I'm struggling elsewhere. And I think building those um, strong relationships are kind of just what matter beyond anything else. Totally agree. I love that one. And the third one I really like as well, because I like all of these, of course, they're all really, really good. They're all really, really good tips. And and I agree with you on everything. But laughter, because, um, do you know, I'm I'm a massive reader and I find it really hard to find funny books. In fact, if anyone has got any great recommendations. um, I'd say the book that's made me laugh out loud the most is This Is Going To Hurt. Yes, that was good. Like yeah. that made me actually cackle. Like I felt like I should stop reading it in public because I was laughing so much. I love that thing when you, I always read before I go to bed on an evening and I love it if I like, I'm laughing out loud and then have to sort of read passages of the book out. I love that. Um, yeah. Do you know what? Actually, my favourite book ever, ever, ever is a funny book. It's, um, you should get this. It's such a brilliant premise. And, um, which I won't tell you because I'll sort of ruin it, but it's by this author called Jonathan Tropper, who I love the writing of, and it's called Bush Falls. And uh, I just love his writing. It's so, so funny. But it's, I find it's quite hard to find. There's some good There's some good funny things on TV, funny, funny things. Mm. What's the next series of Afterlife? That's made me laugh probably the most. Oh, really? Yeah. I need more things that make me laugh. Have you watched that? that? Like, I... No, I haven't. Oh, and I also... you must. You must, you must, you must. Really? Yeah, the next one. Is the next one the third one? Nicola's not I'll add it to my TV series to watch notes. You must. That is brilliant. It's so funny. So I agree with you. I think belly laughter is definitely the best cure. It's kind of like laughter is like perspective, 
isn't it? Yeah. And it's also just like, what, like, I think the thing is, like, all of these for me just come back to like, what really matters. And like, I put so much pressure on my job and doing well and success and all of that. And it's just kind of who I am. Mm -hmm. But then actually, like, just having a good laugh with my friends is actually who I am. Like, it doesn't matter whether something had just gone like, (laughs) whether I'd just gone like bankrupt. I mean, God forbid. But like, you know, whether that had happened or whatever. I can still, you can still laugh with your friends and that still matters. It's very interesting because you think you talk about that in the context of, you know, working, you know, like a nutter at this, at this amazing career that you have. But I think you can lose yourself because of various other reasons. Yeah, it's in not life. my purpose. Yeah. Like it's not, it's yeah, not, it's an also, I don't think, and I think that it kind of, the idea of this like work and making money being my purpose, which like no matter how good you are at it, like, come on, it's, it's I think it, it kind of like aggrandizes it a bit too for me it's like I'm not saving lives like sure. I'm not you know all of for this sure. like yeah fine if I can build really good brands and make money and do a do great things with that and build communities and all of that great but it's not like it is not the be all and end all and it is not me like I think that's what's so important for me and all of yeah. these things the relationships the laughter the everything just comes back to the point where it's like actually this is you know yeah that is me that's the, the human thing. in that's me is me yeah I mean I remember when the I still do it now but particularly when the children were very young and my friends had very little ones and we always tried to go away on a girly weekend and not you know times mm. people have got no money and you you know you're doing it and it didn't it's irrelevant whether you're you know d- d- discovering a new city or you're just sort of you know in a in a local Airbnb that you've all sort of put to yeah. the the idea of going away with your friends and laughing you I always come back from those and go I kind of got a really good sense of like who I am not Nicola yeah. from me I'm not Nicola the mum not Nicola the no you know, like exactly that and and I I agree I think if you lose sight of that because you're busy being a mum because you're busy being busy because you're busy you know with another thing then I think that's the fastest way to get yourself in a real pickle actually I think you've got to you've got to remain holding on to that and that's that's kind yeah of it's, cause, it's, it's perspective for sure it's perspective right um, next one stress management yes. stress management big pillar of well-being <laughs> I um, need to manage my stress yes I think that you can't just you can't reactively fight with well-being like you can't reactively be like okay just have a bath or just like even the other bits of well-being like sleep all of that you have to be proactive about it as well yeah and for me that is things like stress management so like under just knowing myself like understanding what triggers my stress and proactively managing it you know so I can fight it before it happens like I think yeah so I've kind of put the I mean it's a bit depressing the point one of the points of my well-being is about productivity but actually just things like time management diary blocking knowing my limits enforcing boundaries that is what means all the other pillars of well-being can work because it is prevention, not cure. Um, and I think that's so important. That's the point, prevention. And and for me, when things become a problem, when I have allowed the prevention piece to, exactly. to drop. Exactly, you have to have that. It has to be a two-pronged attack. Yeah, and it's, exercise, for example, is a big one there for me. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes yeah. I can think, you know, I'm not going to with it. That's that prevention piece. And, and I think... 
actually, unfortunately, when we talk about stress, we talk about anxiety in the modern world. I think there's quite a lot now, which is a great thing that exists when you talk when we are on the in the prevention part of the sorry the cure part of the conversation. Whereas I don't think that we talk enough about what to do to prevent it. And so inevitably you have conversations with people who go, oh, I don't get stressed or I don't, you know, I'm I'm fine. I, you know, I can survive on four hours sleep or I can eat chocolate dough or whatever it might be. And you think, yeah, and until you get bitten on the bum. And yeah. and and that's kind of that then becomes a problem. And suddenly you start with panic attacks, or you can't manage your job anymore, or whatever else. So I think there should be an awful lot more conversation. And it's starting to happen now. It's like something that we are certainly like really, really passionate at Neom is is that prevention piece. So I'm glad you brought that up. And for you, I, I actually was looking at your Instagram the other day when you were. Uh, like dividing up your diary into between 10 and 6 I'm going to do oh, yes. my calls and the most exciting desserts. part of my life I quite liked watching you write it down in a nice pad as I'm sure everyone else you know likes, <laughs> likes as oh well. Instagram we do love yeah, you I know <laughs> exactly so we'll make it look pretty why not but um yeah I I'm I'm with you and I think uh, that organisation thing again. I I bring a lot of it back to being a mum, but you know if the uniforms aren't sorted the night before, you know then it's a bit of a pain having to do it. But geez, the pain if it's not done, it's kind of like a living embodiment of the prevention versus the cure problem. I I think. Yeah. And number five, acceptance. Yeah. This is a biggie. I this do think it's a biggie because I think that you can't like. I think that probably naively in the past I've talked about you know balance and dealing with things and prevention and all of these things and like when things are shit they can be so awful and actually saying all of those things like, oh, yes. isn't helpful and also sometimes it's not just going to be awful for a day or a week or a month it can really be really really awful for a year and like I think that for me one of the biggest parts of any of those times and actually getting through them has just been accepting that you know I've I've written here when I wrote it down accepting that it's not always going to be sunshines and rainbows and I find that kind of more often than not while building a business it is a roller coaster um and acceptance being a huge part of just being able to push through that stress um so I've put here that one of my favorite quotes is um, you can't wait for life to be easy to be happy. And I think that is so important. Um, I was told that the yeah. other day when I was just, I mean, it, it's been a really tough few months and I, I have like this little quote thing at the top of my diary. Oh, I love a quote. Yeah. Well, I put that as my... I've got another one for you, Grace, on that. Yeah, go on. Life is about learning to dance in the rain oh, no yes. wait a minute oh yeah no, I've got it's that like wrong. not about waiting for What's the sun on? to shine there you can you know it better than me yeah you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> Love no i think I that it. It, it's so true it's just about like because it's been a really hard few months it's not just been about kind of sitting there and being like it will be fine it will be fine it will be fine it's also about being like some parts of my life are fine now and like, not just about, you know, when people are sad and be like, be grateful, because that's not always helpful. But also just understanding that this is really shit and it's going to be really shit for a while. Um, and you can just be in the trenches, pushing through and you can still laugh at things and you can still have a good day and you can still, you know, feel loved and you can still be healthy and you can still be all of those things. And it's not about like 
pushing home that gratitude and being like, well, look at what you do have. It's also just being about like, there can be good times in those bad times. And more often than not, there are, you've just got to sometimes accept that you are in a lull um, and kind of fight through that. Yeah, and also I think the power of, of, of accepting, of learning, of knowing, of, of really sort of nurturing that those little moments actually can be the most powerful moments mm-hmm. because if it is about having a cup of tea and ringing a friend up and having a laugh or if it is about, you know, uh, having a, a, a you know half an hour with a book or whatever it may be, once you start seeing those little things as being the most important things, then the really great part of that is that actually you can bring those out and apply those at any yeah. time, even yeah. shit time. So exactly. I really, really like that. And actually, do you know what? I remember um, I remember a time in my life where things were really, really good. And actually, I felt quite down. Yeah. And it was quite an interesting thing. And I remember thinking, and but I've also had times when it's been really, really shit. And I've really been able to find the little parts of good. So I think that's like a really good thing for me to keep in my mind certainly it's like it's not all about all the kind of classic boxes being ticked for you to be happy that mm-hmm. happiness is very much like your well-being toolkit yeah is um is the is the belly laugh with the friend that is totally free and absolutely available even if you know you've had the shittest week known to man yeah no absolutely i mean i think some of my most meaningful um you know, kind of like relationships and times and all of that have actually been over the past few months when things have just been absolutely dire. (laughs) So (laughs) it's kind of like, actually, this is, you know, this is what it's all about. And um, also everyone will be around you when you're doing really well and really happy and out all the time and fun and your mental health's great and all of that. Like people, anyone can cling on to that. Like, do you know what means so much more is the people who like love you and laugh with you and kind of joke about how awful things are when it's really hard. Um, and I count myself very lucky to have kind of people around me who I know, I really know that now as well. Um, and um, it's just, you know, it's about n- knowing exactly like those relationships and what's there and who's there and who you are beyond everything um, when it's when it's not great. Uh, and I think that's kind of one of the best things that can ever come out of a bad time you know grace i think you've i think you've nailed it at 24 i think you've oh, nailed thanks. it thanks i don't i think the book's good <laughs> i think the instagram's good i think tala's good i think shreddy's good but i actually think above all of it your your attitude to life is the best so good for you that's so kind thank you well, that's what i think that is i appreciate oh, you coming i really on. appreciate that I really no, thank do. you so much it's been fab to chat yeah you too you take care i will <laughs> hopefully <laughs> 